T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Thanks again for spending time with us tonight on Overnight America. I do appreciate anything uh, that you do to support this show. So if you tell a friend about it, that's nice. If you share it on Facebook, you can like the page, Ryan Recker Radio. It's a good place to do it on there. And also download the podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Overnight America. Joining us now is the author of a new book. It just came out called The Wolves of Helmand, A View from Inside the Den of Modern Wars. And Marine Captain Frank Biggio joins us. Thanks for coming on to KMOX. Ryan, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So the book just came out, and I'm kind of curious what you cover in this book, because uh, being that today is the tail end, but still Veterans Day, um, I, I know that through the book you talk about some of the experiences you've had serving this country and talking about the Marine Brotherhood, which is uh, also an awesome thing to talk about. So kind of give us the scope of what is covered in your book. Well, you're right, uh, Ryan, that it is uh, the uh, Veterans Day today, and yesterday was the 245th birthday of the Marine Corps, which uh, Marines around the world take seriously. Uh, in 2009, I was part of uh, several thousand Marines that took place in the surge of civilian and military forces into Afghanistan to push the counterinsurgency strategy that President Obama and General McChrystal, who wrote the foreword for my book, uh, were advocating. So we went into Helmand Province, uh, which at the time was a violent, lawless, chaotic place. It was the center of the insurgency that was wrecking the whole country. We went in there to engage in a new type of warfare. So we were doing counterinsurgency, which is different than the nation-state warfare that maybe our, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers would have fought in World War One and World War Two, where the enemy had a uniform and they had very identifiable uh, weapons and tanks and artillery like that. Here, the enemy blends in with the local population. And sometimes you might be drinking tea with some guys in the morning and you might be shooting at them and having them shoot back at you in, in the evening. Wow. So the center of gravity, <coughs> excuse me, encountered insurgency is the population. And that's where we went to go and, and, and support and, and win their, their, uh, their, their turning against the Taliban to set the stage for the Afghan government to have a strong presence uh, in the district we went to. Oh, that's, that's such an interesting and crazy turn of events and how fast that could go. Um, when you hear about these different stories and the ones that you lived through, th just the way that you would start to talk to the locals, interact with the locals, you're saying that it would just flip one day. You'll, you'll be sitting there and it'll be pleasant. And next thing you know, uh, the same people you shared pleasantries with would be shooting at you. 
Well, that, that happened on occasion. But uh, more often than not, we gained the trust and the support of the locals. And when we first got there, there was a lot of skepticism towards us. So Afghans have seen foreigners come and go for centuries. And so we might have not have looked too different from the Brits and the Russians and Alexander the Great's forces many, many years ago. And people might have assumed that we were just going to leave after a key pivotal event. But when we conducted this counterinsurgency campaign, we did it by walking the ground. You cannot win the support of the local population from behind the door of an armored Humvee. So every Marine in the battalion I was with put miles and miles and miles on their boots. They interacted with the locals in their area of operation. They knew them. The locals ended up knowing the Marines, and they ended up learning and, and trusting them. They, they knew all about their families and, and realized that we came from the other side of the world to make life better for them. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you don't really know the impressions of those around the other side of the world. I mean, I could watch news coverage or I can look at what different people are reporting. Some cases in social media has become a lot more prevalent. So, you know, even 10 years ago, it was different than the way it is now. But you start to learn about what other people around the world think about certain events. They always like to chime in on American politics, especially during the election time, which we saw the last couple of months. So when you get there and you start to talk to the locals and, and start to communicate, build relationships with them, what was their general feeling of the United States? And um, how did that play into the relationships that you had with them? Well, the most important thing to take away from that is the Afghans may have dressed differently than us, and they have may have lived in a, in a different environment than us, but ultimately, at heart, they have the same interests that we do. They want to be safe, uh, they want to have a vibrant economy, and they want their kids to grow up to be strong and healthy and educated. So there might be a language barrier and there might be a cultural barrier, but some of the things that form the foundation of, of what we as human beings look forward to, they, they, they shared the same things. Uh, it's very tribal, but you could also argue that in the United States, we're, we're going through some tribal strife right now in, in the last couple of years. So we, we had a lot more in common. Obviously, we had big language barrier. Uh, mm-hmm. Until you find a battalion or a platoon worth of Marines who can speak Pashto or Dari or Farsi or any other language where our military deploys around the world, you're going to rely on the important people of, of the interpreters. We had uh, some incredible interpreters with us who helped us bridge the gap of, of culture and understanding, and those guys were, were just a tremendous part of the team. They lived in the same austere conditions as the Marines. They, they went on every patrol with us, and they, they were there throughout, and we could not have done it without them. Like I said, a counterinsurgency effort is focused on winning the trust and support of the locals. You can't do that without being able to communicate, and the interpreters enabled us to, to win in that regard. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about what changed in the past 10 years. You know, we had different administrations, and we had, you know, other major figures in some of these terrorist groups taking out al-Baghdadi being one of the big ones, but the more efforts to try to take out their leaders. And I, I want to know what you've seen over the last couple of years and what might have changed on that front. Do you mind holding on after the break? Uh, absolutely. Okay, so the book is called The Wolves of Helmand. If people wanted to find your book and find you online, what are some good places for them to check out? First of all, you can check out uh, my website, which is wolvesofhelmand.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page of the same name. Uh, you can also go directly to Amazon and Barnes & Noble 
to, to buy the book, and it was released yesterday, so I'm getting a lot of good feedback already from friends who got the book yesterday and already are, are, are diving into it. Book released on the 245th anniversary of the founding of the Marine Corps, which is great, in Marine Captain Frank Biggio. We'll continue our conversation with him next on Overnight America KMOX. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. He's got a book out, which you can find for yourself right now, because it just came out, I mean, a day ago. It's called The Wolves of Helmand, A View from Inside, The Den of Modern Wars. He is someone that is a Marine veteran, served not that long ago, and talking about the Marine Brotherhood and some of the experiences of serving as Marine Captain Frank Biggio. Thank you again for joining us on Overnight America. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's great to be here. You know, my producer is very good at informing me when I mispronounce names, so I apologize for the first segment, and I'll try my best. I was calling, I was saying Biggio, but Biggio, I apologize. But, you know, the good thing is people can find you online, wolvesofhelmand.com, and they can see the, the book on there. And I went to the website. It's very well put together. i, I got to give you a lot of credit because of some of the different author books that I visit, this one's very well put together, so I wanted to give you credit for that. Well, uh, I'll be happy to... Uh, take credit for that, but I want to talk about a good friend of mine growing up named Brandon Emerson, who helped me design that website. So um, I think the, the real credit goes to him and his tech savvy to, to make it a great website. Oh, very good. A lot has changed. So what years did you serve in the Marines? So I had two periods of service in the Marine Corps. I was on active duty in the infantry in the mid-90s for a little less than five years. Then I got out and went to law school and worked in jobs in law and finance in New York and Washington, D.C. Uh, in, in the early aughts, uh, I was watching what was going on with the, the, the global war on terror. And my friends who were still in were, were doing some interesting and amazing things. And I must admit, I was, I was sort of envious of what I saw them accomplishing. So the same itch that drove me to serve the first time in the 1990s nagged at me again. So I ended up joining a reserve unit called the Civil Affairs Group based out of Washington, D.C., with the intention of deploying to one of these hotspots. And that's what we ended up doing in 2009. Now, keep in mind, I was married at the time and had a kid on the way. And so I had some tremendous support from my wife. She understood my affinity for the Marine Corps and my desire to serve something that, that achieves a higher purpose. So uh, she she blessed that decision of mine, but it came with a caveat. So this counted as my uh, midlife crisis. So she said, okay, you go and you do some good things. And when you come back, no fancy sports cars and no motorcycles. All right, got it. And so <laughs> I agreed to that and uh, had a good productive deployment. And then I, I kept my end of the promise when we got back. So when did you get back? So I deployed to Afghanistan in 2009. And so we were mm -hmm. boots on the ground for a little over seven months. And that's a typical... Uh, length for a Marine deployment. Uh, and we, in December of 2009, we, we handed off to another Marine battalion that was cycling through the rotation there. Yes. So you, you, you go back, you get back into the game. Is it hard to get back into the game? Was it uh, physically difficult for you? Uh, it was. And um, I, I was, when I decided to do this, I was had a nice, comfortable job at a good, prestigious law firm in Washington, D.C., and I tried as much as I could to uh, maintain a fitness regimen, but the focus on hitting my billable hours goals was, was more important than maintaining a routine. 
And so I did have to work a little bit hard to get back into shape, uh, but I ended up doing quite well and uh, dropping a couple pounds and getting my pull-ups up to where I could get a first-class PFP, <laughs> and I was I was pretty proud of that. So uh, I would say to anybody who's a fitness buff or looking at exercise programs, it's easier to stay in shape than to get back in shape. So whatever <laughs> program you're doing, stick with it, even though it might get frustrating at times. Oh, that's wonderful to know. I, I don't know how many people listening right now are considering getting back into shape. So, But it's good to know maybe that one person that's thinking about it right now. So a lot has changed since 2009, 2010. We've gone through different administrations. We saw uh, during the Trump administration them going out and targeting some high-level terrorists, al-Baghdadi being one of them, and then a lot of other people around. We're starting to see, at least for the last couple of years, an importance of trying to take out some of that system of terrorism. So you were on the ground, you were able to see some of this firsthand, and you probably have seen a lot change in the past 10 years from when you've been out again. I'm kind of curious your impressions of where we are today compared to where we were when you were there. Well, in some ways, things have stayed the same, and some things, uh, they, they've changed a lot. So like I mentioned, we were part of the counterinsurgency push into Afghanistan. That eventually led to a drawdown of U.S. forces, and not surprisingly, things have gone back to the way they were in many parts of the country where the Taliban has pushed into rural areas and taken taken control. As you know, following the news, uh, we're in the midst of negotiations with the Afghan government and the Taliban to essentially broker an agreement where the United States pulls out of the country entirely. I have mixed emotions on that. On one hand, as a, as a taxpayer and a citizen, I know that we shouldn't be endlessly involved in campaigns in places that it's sort of hard to describe our strategic interest. On the other hand, I think back to some of the friends and comrades that we met in Afghanistan and people who worked so hard and in many instances gave their lives for the betterment of the country. And it makes me sad that um, we're, we're going to leave them out on their own. But ultimately, they, they, they've got to take, take charge of, of the, themselves. So we're about to uh, see the war in Afghanistan be conducted under the fourth president now uh, with mm-hmm. the uh, election of Joe Biden as the commander in chief. And so we'll see what, what happens uh, in the coming months with that. I think some of the things they point out about Donald Trump is that he at least didn't start any new wars. So a lot of the money that was put into the military, we saw funding, we saw an importance of trying to restock and try to update and maybe get some new things into place. Some things they were saying were falling apart. Um, I don't exactly know uh, what that means because I don't know all the equipment, the the tanks and the planes and all the stuff that goes involved with it. But I certainly understand the value in trying to put some more money to try to make sure things are up to where it should be when it comes to military ranks. So in the future, what do you think uh, our military will be doing under a new administration? Have you considered what a Joe Biden would look like as a commander in chief? Well, I don't know President-elect Biden's specific strategic plan for the funding or the deployment of the U.S. military. Uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that he won't use the military as props for any stunts or gimmicks or charades the way the current president has. Uh, And ultimately, I do think that um, the military will be in good hands under Joe Biden as their commander-in-chief. Okay. So I wanted to also talk to you about the Brotherhood of the Marines. So tell me what the relationships are like with the people you served with. Are you still close to them? Absolutely. And part of the reason that I came back into the Marine Corps was because I felt that strong affinity for 
the people who I served with and who were, were some of them who are actually still serving, and they are colonels and sergeant majors, and I'm certain that some of them are going to achieve the Marine Corps' highest ranks. You can't go through um, an experience like I went through in a place like Helmand Province and not develop lifelong bonds with these guys. We lived in horrible conditions, conditions that you would just question why in the world anyone would want to live like that. You're constantly filthy. Uh, you don't really eat well. You're, you're never getting any sleep. But there's this intangible bond of brotherhood that keeps you together. And when you, you have a shared suffering and uh, shared adversity, it just bonds you together like like no sports team or fraternity or, or social club could, could ever do. So I've stayed in touch with the friends that I had on my first tour in the Marine Corps, and I've stayed in touch with a lot of the guys uh, that I was in Afghanistan with, and, and I consider them uh, essentially brothers, and, and I always look forward to having time together with them. You know, I, I, when I, um, you know, I, when I was growing up, of course, I had some friends that decided to go to the military route, and I would stay in touch with them when they were serving overseas. And there's a few things I remember, and I don't know if this is still true. So uh, I did have a, a friend that joined the Marines, and he said one of the rules in, when you're in Afghanistan or places like that, if it touches the ground, it's gone. Don't you dare pick it up. Is, is that because uh, you talk about the the area? It's not necessarily the most cleanly area. Uh, maybe that's a rule of thumb. And the other one was he served in the army. And they were building all kinds of things there. I mean, all kinds of structures. And he said, hey, can you send me a racquetball racket? Because we're playing racquetball here. And I thought, wow, what kind of things are they building over there in some of these different places? So I'm guessing that you probably have seen things outside of combat, all kinds of things that happen when you're overseas. Well, to your first point, if if it falls on the ground, don't touch it. Um, you're, I think you're referring to the, the five-second rule. You, you drop your English muffin on your kitchen floor or something like that. So you're right. For the most part, you wouldn't do that in Afghanistan because a lot of times where we were, it's just dirty. And so whatever you drop on the ground is going to get covered with dirt. Now, as far as some of those amenities like uh, racquetball courts, they might have had that stuff at some of the bigger bases in Kandahar and uh, Camp Leatherneck at, at the later stages of Camp Leatherneck. But we were out in the boonies in a place called Nawa, and we lived in mud huts. We slept under the stars. Uh, We had sandbag fortresses around us, so we did not have any of those amenities. Our weight room consisted of a bunch of uh, sticks that we found from nearby trees, and we tied some cinder blocks to them, or we filled up uh, ammunition crates with, uh, with sand, and we made do. And Marines are obviously known for being really fit. Uh, but we didn't need a state-of-the-art gym to do that. And like I said before, we, we walked everywhere, too. So uh, we put a lot of miles on the soles of our shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was curious, again, if you wanted to let people know where they could find your book. It's called The Wolves of Helmand, A View from Inside the Den of Modern Wars. Where can people find it? So I have a website, and the website is wolvesofhelmand.com. I also have a Facebook page of the same name, and I post on there pretty frequently with some excerpts from the book. You can get it on uh, Amazon, and you can get it on Barnes & Noble. Uh, As of yesterday, it's in bookstores around the country. And um, I've already had a lot of friends who were pleased to tell me that their book arrived yesterday, which was the 245th anniversary of uh, the founding of the Marine Corps. And some of them are already tearing through it, and I'm getting really good feedback so far. So I hope a lot of your listeners will be interested in reading what uh, what I wrote about our experience in Afghanistan as well. 
Yeah, when you talk about some of these groups that are overseas, just one other question for you. So we saw there was a pretty big um, importance to try to take out ISIS during the Trump administration. I'm curious if you thought that was a good thing to try to the, the way that the Trump administration approached terrorism and trying to take it out. And the other side of it is uh, negotiations with some of these other groups. So we then got into the conversation of, OK, who do we work with and do we work with them in a way because we think it'll be productive? So there's there's different ways as in as opposed to just going in striking versus negotiating and, and talking to other governments or the Taliban or the Kurds or whatever it may be. I'm curious what you think of these different approaches that you've seen. So uh, President Trump has done a good job taking on ISIS. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. ISIS uh, deserves no quarter. They have done just horrible things. They're, they're vicious and, and just out of their mind. And, and it seems that they're the type of people that you just can't negotiate rationally with. So I have no objection taking a very fierce and lethal approach to them. So I think Donald Trump has had the right approach to that. Other groups, you know, the, the Taliban, the Taliban was very repressive before 9-11, and they have had a major influence in Afghanistan since then. And as we've seen, they have uh, a large seat at the negotiating table right now. Like it or not, the Taliban is an influential political force in Afghanistan. It's comprised largely of uh, the Pashto majority, uh, Pashtuns, who are the majority tribe in Afghanistan. So it would be really naive for us to exclude them from uh, the the long-term talks about what what we're going to do in Afghanistan. I fear that they're going to impose a very repressive regime like they did before 9-11, particularly in the rural areas. Um, and that we will see uh, uh, regression towards um, the the decline in, in women's rights, uh, the decline in personal and political freedom, uh, and, and everything like that that we oftentimes take for granted in the United States. So um, it's it's a political reality in a place like that. But um, again, going back to groups like ISIS, um, there's a very quick and efficient and lethal way to deal with people like that. Mm-hmm. So again, the people can find your book, wolvesofhelman.com. So H-E-L-M-A-N-D, wolvesofhelman.com. They can look you up online. Uh, and I got to say, the Wolves of Hellman, a view from inside the den of modern wars out now, just came out yesterday. Um, and I got to say, thank you for joining us tonight on Overnight America, Marine Captain Frank Biggio. And uh, really joining us a late minute. I just asked and requested this, and I'm so glad you made yourself available this late. Not every guest would be able to do that. So I do appreciate it. And, of course, thank you for all your service here on this Veterans Day. Uh, Ryan, it was my pleasure. And, and no problem being here late. I've got uh, a whole brood of kids who keep me up at different odd hours. So um, <laughs> this is this is a, a nice break, actually, to have a a coherent conversation with you. So thanks for having me on the show. I get it. Not one kid screaming in the background. That's one of the advantages of nighttime radio. So that works out pretty well for me too. I got the little one sleeping upstairs. So I understand that fully. Thank you again for coming on. Okay, Ryan. Thanks. Bye-bye. The website wolvesofhelman.com and Marine Captain Frank Biggio joining us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. This is Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. And I want to thank our last guest. That was nice. Yesterday we played a little Ray Charles, America the Beautiful for the veterans and anyone that may have served this country listening tonight. We appreciate you not only tonight, but really every night. Let's open up the phones. 314-436-7900 if you wanted to call in. And next hour, they're raising the idea that if you work from home, you should be specially taxed. So next hour, we'll talk about that, too. Uh, Everything's got to be taxed, I guess. And Sebastian has been waiting the line for a while. Welcome to Overnight America. Hi, how you doing, Ryan? Good. Yeah, we're talking about getting back into shape. Yes. Do Do you think you have to get back into shape? Do I? (laughs) My wife would probably like it. Now, since we've had the kid, I do a lot less exercising. My exercising is basically walking the dog every day. But instead of doing that, I'm holding the baby for a lot of times to give the wife a break. So I've been a lot of my things that I would normally do to try to at least get a little exercise has been substituted. So, yeah, I think I need more exercise in my life, but I'm just not getting it. Yeah. Well, my observation is uh, most guys, and probably most girls in broadcasting are overweight because <laughs> you do sit down and talk. That's what you do. Yeah, you sit down and you talk, and usually you get free coupons to eat here and discounts to eat there. And so you you want to take advantage of everything of everything that you get free because that's that's kind of your, kind of your job. Hey, hey, Ryan. Did, well, let me know. just point this out real quick. You're t- you're also talking to the station that has Amy Mark scores tomorrow, running for six straight hours. She's going to do like forty some miles in that run. So it's uh, yeah, forty to forty five miles she's yeah. running tomorrow. So we got, I guess, hey. we got a pretty in in shape staff hey. here. Hey, hey, Ryan, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because um, she made it very clear that if you want to contribute to the backstoppers, to use a slash. Amy Markor's run. So obviously she's using this money as part of her income that she's donating to the backstoppers so she can donate, um, deduct that from her income. So, No, that's actually not the case at all. That's 100% wrong. So when they put these things together, you're going direct to Backstopper's website and donating directly to Backstopper's. This has nothing to do, and no funds go to her. So that's, that's not true. I'm not sure why you got that impression that she would be benefiting financially from that at all. Just, just really not the case. Um, Understood. Yeah, me. it's she's part. She's donating that money, which she can deduct from no, her income. No, no, that's actually not the case at all. So it goes directly to Backstoppers. It has nothing to do with her at all. No, I, I, I don't know. That's, I, I'm under, I'm don't not under, I don't understand how you're misunderstanding that, but. I think it's very important to point out 
none of this is like passing through. She's doing this on behalf of Backstoppers. And the reason is because of all of the different fundraisers they would be doing throughout the course of the year because of COVID. They're not doing these fundraisers. There's a lot of charities, great charities that would normally be able to uh, raise money like uh, Guns and Hoses. It's a big event that happens every single year, and that's one of their big fundraisers. They can't do it this year. I think they're going to try to do a uh, telethon, kind of like MDA style. So this is just another thing that Amy thought, you know, this is such a great organization. I want to try to help them make up for some of those donations that they're missing out on. 100% goes to Backstoppers. Uh, nothing, she's not going to be able to credit anything to her name. She's doing this out of the goodness of her heart to try to help that organization. So it's kind of a weird thing to assume that somehow it's passing through her in some way, which is definitely not the case. Uh, 314-436-7900 is the number, or 800-925-1120. I think you may be the only person that thought that was the case, honestly. I, I, I don't think there's anyone else that thought that way. So there's a couple of things that you can go online right now to KMOX.com. And if you actually want to see what Amy Markscore is doing in the money she's raising for backstoppers, you can go see that. And she's running for six hours straight. I don't know who can do that. I brought that up to our friend Brad Young during his interview last hour. I don't know how long. When I was actually working out, there was a time or two that we would have some sort of agreement with a gym. And they would do like a biggest loser at the radio station and whoever lost the most weight won a prize or whatever it was. So they got us a membership to a local gym, which was nice. I took advantage of it. I was doing the morning show at the time in Ohio. So after the show, I would go out and work out during the day when it was a little bit less busy, or sometimes I'd find myself doing it extremely early in the morning. I'd wake up really, really early to do this. And I found out that, yeah, if I put my mind to it, I can do it. However, the motivation for me to do it anymore is just not there. It's amazing when you get married and you just feel like, ah, I guess I don't have to anymore. Who am I, who am I to impress? My wife loves me. <laughs> who do I have to impress anymore? Because at our building, we actually have access to it. At least I have some access to the gym that's there. Never once used it. You know, it was nice to go look at it. The idea of it was nice. I just thought, well, I don't want to be sweaty for my show, and I don't want to leave and be sweaty and have to go home. And, you know, I don't want to shower when the whole family's sleeping and wake them up. So it just didn't make sense. But when I would do those competitions, one year I actually won it, and I got zero prize for it. They, they told us there'd be a prize, but there was no prize because they do it by percentage. Now, I'm not someone that is, like, super overweight, but I definitely got extra pounds on me. Like, you know, you'd, you'd look at me, and I hide it well. I think mostly because of my legs. I got strong torque legs, you know, nice torquey muscle legs. These things carry a lot of the weight of my body. So it is, I'm deceptive in that way. But if I, I can suck it in, maybe I'm really good at sucking it in when it comes to uh, my belly. Or maybe no one knows this. I just wear one of those William Shatner girdles that kind of just uh, sucks it in like the Spanx or whatever. And that's a good way to hide it too. But if you were to see me, you would say, uh, I mean, you could lose a few pounds, but you don't look terrible. But the thing when you do like these weight loss competitions, they do it by percentage. So thing is, if you're not, you, you could lose a ton of weight, but if you have a ton of weight to lose, the percentage isn't as high as when you have lower, uh, you know, if you're somewhere down lower and you lose just a little bit of weight by percentage, it probably pushes things. And that's how I won that competition. And I was supposed to win a vacation somewhere. That, that was the big incentive. Oh, you won a vacation. Got nothing for it. Nothing. And still to this day, 15 years later, I'm still remembering and thinking about that. Well, maybe not quite 15. Over 10 years ago, at least. 
314-436-7900. That's the number if you want to call us here. And I saw this one story at uh, Post-Dispatch. There's a 1,000 supporters that are urging President Trump to stop a death sentence here in Missouri. And the case is Lisa Montgomery. If you remember this case from 2007, truly, truly horrific. She was convicted of strangling Bobby Joe Stinnett, 23 at the time, and then cutting her unborn baby from her womb and kidnapping the baby. Later, the baby was found safe. She was 52. Um, well, is 52. Would be the first woman to be executed in the federal government system since 1967. She is set to get lethal injection by December 8th. And there are people, uh, 800 or so, that have signed a letter from different organizations saying that please spare her life. She had all kinds of other issues going on. And she should not be given the death sentence here. So they're hoping that Donald Trump comes in and signs some sort of executive order and stops that sort of thing. Truly horrific story. Um, I, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine in an instance like this where the president would step in and say, oh, no, this is the type of the type of person we want to make sure is spared from the death penalty. Now, there have been instances where people have been sitting in jail for a long time on low-level drug charges, and part of the Trump administration was to try to look at those and make it so that they're not sitting in jail forever for something that was a nonviolent, low-level drug crime. Some of these instances where police reform and part of it go hand-in-hand with prison reform. Prison reform started first, they looked at all of the different uh, instances. And you know what? And the most high-profile one was when Kim Kardashian and Kanye West go in to talk to the president to talk about um, to talk about that one particular instance. And that kind of snowballed into prison reform and some of these different cases where people should be out of jail. And I don't think a lot of people felt like they should have been in there to begin with. They look at this and say, you know, uh, no, this is not right. This is not fitting uh, a lifetime in jail or, you know, many, many, many years of their life or something they got convicted for, made a mistake, but the, the sentence just did not match the crime. And those are the type of things the president should be looking at right now, those type of instances, not the instances of woman um, strangles a 23-year-old and then cuts the unborn baby from the womb and kidnaps the baby. These are not the type of instances where the president should be injecting himself into, period. Uh, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think that she should be spared. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. So that's the story out of the Kansas City area. So it's on the other side of the state, and the Kansas City Star is the one that was reporting this. About 1,000 supporters urging President Trump to stop the execution of a Kansas woman who killed an expected mother, citing horrific abuse and mental illness. So they said she didn't know what she was doing um, when she kidnapped a woman, strangled her, and then cut the baby out of her womb to take the baby. That Luckily, the baby was found safe. This goes back some years, not that long ago. But we're just uh, talking about 2007 when the conviction happened. So they're saying that the coalition that was put together said that the woman went through a pretty terrible childhood, mental illness, um, parents that were pretty abusive, suffered abuse. That should be weighed in and given some mercy so the death penalty is not executed here. Uh, No pun intended, I guess. But Montgomery, the woman, Lisa Montgomery, 
would be the only woman among 55 prisoners on federal death row. So they looked at some of the other similar cases. Isn't that strange and weird and terrifying that there's similar cases to what Lisa Montgomery went, uh, has done? Strangle a woman, then cut the baby out of her stomach and kidnap the child? Apparently there's two other similar cases. Uh, one in which a woman received uh, 30 years to life, the other one a 100-year sentence, but apparently those other two did not receive the death penalty. This is so grim and horrific. I, if I were the president, I would not step in on this. I, a thousand people, even given the circumstance, I'm sorry, I'm done. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to take my pen and say, no, we're, I'm going to intervene in this. This is um, one I would not touch at all. And I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have too much mercy for either, even given some of the circumstances. It's just truly horrific, truly horrific. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but out of Florida, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen with these new laws the governor has drafted. And this is what the governor has drafted. It's anti-mob legislation. So Governor DeSantis in Florida proposed two bills that expands the list of, quote, forcible felonies under the self-defense law. So here's what could happen. Um, It says that if you have to defend yourself or your business or whatever it is, because people are looting, that you have the ability to defend yourself even with lethal force. It's kind of like stand-your-ground law. It gives you a little bit of extra protection if that ever does go to court. Same thing if you are in a vehicle. So let's say you're in a vehicle, and there's a violent mob coming your way, and you feel your life is in danger, and then your life very much could be in danger, as opposed to being prosecuted and going through trial and all of these different things, even when it seems like it's it's a very clear case that your life was in danger. This would add some extra protections into that sort of thing, too. Uh, DeSantis wants to make it a third-degree felony to block traffic during a protest and offer immunity to drivers who accidentally kill or injure protesters who are out there doing so. So on top of that... Um, if you hop in the in the highway, start blocking traffic, okay, you can be arrested. And probably, you know what? You should be arrested. I hate people that go out and try to block traffic. And the thing that we have gotten into is accepting that. Like, when, when did we accept that as normal, as in we're going to just have to let this thing play through and we're just going to let people hop onto the interstate? It's so dangerous there. Let's not forget what happened here in St. Louis. And this is one of those sad moments where the reporting doesn't match up with the reality of what was going on. You know, you, you see the headlines, oh, it was uh, mostly peaceful all night in St. Louis as some protesters went out and protested and this and that. And then they just kind of gloss over what happened when the protesters went and decided to block the interstate and force people off the interstate. This is down on 64, not that far from where our radio stations were. So forcing people off the interstate, as they were forcing people off the interstate, they were getting ambushed. And you had the one FedEx driver that saw the people come through, block it. Little did he know, because, you know, he's driving a giant truck, that people were hopping onto the back, opening up and trying to steal the packages off the back of this FedEx truck. Well, when one of the people decides to go to the side of the car, flash a gun and try to use it as a way to either carjack or shoot or kill him, he says, no, uh-uh. Hits the gas and goes. He didn't know there were people on the back of this big truck of his. He was just worried that there was a gun in his face. What happens is one of the looters gets uh, falls, loses his balance, gets stuck under the tire, dragged several hundred feet, dies, and gets killed. It was reported that night, mostly peaceful, where this person's uh, life could have been lost because they wanted his packages. 
and uh, you know this person, this protester, whatever that's looting, the back of this truck ends up getting killed. Now, what would happen to a person like that? As far as I know, there wasn't any charges brought up against him after the circumstances that were brought there. But let's look at the dangers of hopping into the middle of the street when these things are going on. There's two different ways to look at it. Let's say there's a protest in front of the jailhouse on Tucker, or there's a protest in front of City Hall, or there's a protest in the police station down Olive, things like that. You know what you normally see? The police block off an area to allow these sort of things to happen because they feel that's the safest thing to do, which is fine. That's, that is perfectly okay if they find these sort of things from happening because they're not purposely pinning traffic into one certain area and not allowing you to get around. What they're doing is they put up these blockades and you have to go around this area. It's a little inconvenient, but it's not you getting trapped in a certain area. If they go onto the highway where traffic's going 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, you've seen these things where the protesters say, okay, traffic's going, but we're just going to take over this area. Then they start walking across and someone gets hit by a car. And think about this too. They get to the front of this and cars, um, you know, are, are trying to slow down and they're trying to get around and they don't want to stop all the way because what happens when you get stopped is that violence could happen and you're fearful. You're thinking, I don't want these people surrounding my car because I can get hurt. So they're trying to sneak around. They're trying to get around, do these things. And in Florida, at least they're trying to be proactive in saying that these are dangerous situations that people don't want to be put into. You should get arrested if you block a highway and you should. That's no problem. And if you accidentally hit someone with your car, your life shouldn't be ruined because that situation shouldn't have happened to begin with. I think a lot of times these things can be accidental um, because, number one, they're not anticipating people running into the middle of the highway. And the other side of it is they're fearing for their safety, their life, their passenger's life, their family's life. They don't want to have to deal with this sort of thing. Um, It's a controversial bill in Florida, honestly, and some people may think it's necessary. Some people may hate it. I know a lot of um, people probably don't like it. It may seem a little bit too extreme. 314-436-7900. Some people that hate it, former Miami-Dade County prosecutor says it allows for vigilantes to justify their actions. Um, I don't know. What I feel is vigilante gives the impression that they're going out there looking for a target, as in they... They, they don't like what people are doing, so they're going to go out there and then, hey, they're going to take it among themselves. These laws sound a little bit different. These laws make it sound like it's not that. It's if you're confronted, it gives you an extra layer of defense because you were put into a situation you didn't want to be put into. Um, civil rights attorney says it has a chilling effect on free speech. I don't know. Um, people approaching your car and maybe showing and brandishing weapons. Uh, banging on your windows or smashing it, things like that, because they're in the middle of the street when they shouldn't be. Um, that doesn't, to me, seems like protected free speech at all. It's not peaceable. It's not peaceful whatsoever. Those are things that need to be considered when it comes to trying to bring the free speech. Was it peaceful or not? A lot of times it's not. So that kind of is going to be one of the the big things that people are going to be debating here in the next, oh, I don't know, weeks to come. But Florida's different. You know, Florida sees things. I don't know how often they see protests. It doesn't seem like it's a hotbed of protesting areas. When you normally see the major areas that find these giant uh, mobs of people, it's normally the New Yorks, Philadelphias, Chicago's, even St. Louis here at times, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis. Those are the major areas that seem to have the, uh, the biggest problems when it comes to having issues with the people that are protesting.
All right, we got one more hour of Overnight America to go. And I saw this one story from Market Watch, and they're saying that with all the tax money that's being lost from people working at home, should people working from home have a special tax? Ugh, is there anything that can't be taxed anymore? So I wanted to ask you of how we should handle this in order to get the tax revenue back. There's always two different ways to look at it, and maybe you see it in a different way. So we'll do that. I would love for you to go and subscribe to the podcast Overnight America. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's uh, easy for you to do that, and it's normally just a click of the button. It's all free, by the way. It doesn't cost you anything to do it, and it's a great way to support the show. I always love going online and seeing all the different places and different numbers of times people uh, like to listen and where they listen, and it's uh, something I'll share on here. But, you know, we're over 100,000 downloads for the year. I'm very proud of that. I'd love to keep growing. 120 for the year would be awesome. So let's keep it going. And you could definitely support the show just by doing that free download for Overnight America's podcast on KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.